Okay, so start in 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you've got your Bibles, also put a mark in Psalm 51. And we're also going to look at John chapter 6. And this is a lot of information, and I'll see if we can get through it all. And so I'll try to go uh, quickly. 1 Samuel 18. You remember we have not been going chronologically, so we've kind of been going back and forth. 1 Samuel 18. Uh, what you're going to see is, to catch you up, 1 Samuel 17. You don't have to turn there. But 1 Samuel 17 is the famous David and Goliath scene. Okay, So, this is to, to, so make sure you get our context. Uh, David has just stepped on the scene, okay? Uh, David has just taken down Goliath. David is a young guy. He's not yet king, okay? This is our context here. But he's just taken on Goliath, and he's just done what Saul, the king, wouldn't slash couldn't do, okay? And so David, right now, what we're going to read about, um, we're going to just start in verse 1. We're going to read about the popularity of David because this is important for the context uh, before Michael steps on the scene. So chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. So remember, start to think, context. David is starting to become very, very popular. Okay, uh, Verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's Goliath, the women came out. So don't picture, I mean, picture this scene. It, I, I picture, it's, you remember how the Beatles used to get off of an airplane and it was just like, ah, right? Some of y'all remember it. You're old enough. Most of us not. Sorry, that may have been a jab. Uh, but you, you know that scene where it's, here's these really, unbelievably famous guys, and, and it, it says right here, women are almost throwing themselves at them. Do you see this scene? Do you picture this? Either nod your head up and down or left. This is a conversation. Yes, okay. Y'all just stared at me. Okay, so when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, listen to this song, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Okay, so again, all we're doing is setting up the context. Do you see what's happening in the community right now? David is extremely popular. People are literally singing songs about him. People are coming from all different towns just to get a glimpse of these guys. Do you see this? Okay, so, so uh, David, unbelievably on top of his game right now. And, and picture, if you're a young girl and you see David come along, you get kind of excited, right? You see him and you think, oh my gosh, that's, that's the guy. That's David. That's the one, right? And, and maybe as a, as, a, as a young girl, you look and maybe your thoughts aren't 100% rational. I know this is a crazy thought, but sometimes teenage girls... Their thoughts aren't 1,000% logical. 
I'll let that sink in for a minute. Some of y'all need to write that down. Okay? And so imagine, uh, well, here, look at verse 8. Oh, no, I'm uh, I'm sorry. Skip down to verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, who's, who's that right there? Michael. So this is the first time she's introduced. Was, what's the words? In love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. Okay, so uh, stop there for a second. So Michael, this young girl, is in love with David. Now this is interesting, and it's not in our Bibles, okay? Um, and your Old Testament is originally written in Hebrew, okay? It's not written in English. Uh, Jesus did not originally speak King James. Uh, Jesus did not have blonde hair and blue eyes. He was not Italian. So that image of Jesus at the Last Supper, just get rid of it, okay? He was a Middle Eastern guy, spoke Hebrew um, and Aramaic. Um, anyways, but your Old Testament is written in Hebrew. When you write out in Hebrew, what they did was there were certain, with each sentence, you would put these little marks either above or below the words. And what these marks would do is they would indicate where the emphasis was in that sentence, okay? And in, in English, we call it an emphatic idiom, okay? Now, the way we communicate that verbally is if I said the words, um, I did not back my truck into your car, okay? That can mean a lot of things. What if I said it like this? I did not back my truck into your car. You see the emphasis? And so, because we're English speakers, you know what that means. What am I actually saying? Well, I'm, I, I, might have, I might have run into it straight ahead, right? Or, or, if I, or if I said this, notice the words don't change, but the emphasis does. I didn't back my truck into your car. What am I communicating? Maybe my tractor, right? Maybe my SUV. I didn't back my truck into your car. What am I saying? It was Kenneth's car. Yeah, right? I didn't back my, my truck into your car, but your house is a different, right? But so you see how when I emphasize each one, it changes the meaning. And in the original Hebrew, they would put these marks on there that would tell you this is where the emphasis is. Okay? So when you look at this, it says Saul's daughter Michael was in love with David. The emphasis in, in um, every sentence has to be somewhere. And this is a trick question, so don't answer it. Where do you think the emphasis is in this verse? And I'll answer you. There is not one. And that's very strange. So the writer of 1 Samuel, notice this is what he's saying. Michael was in love with David. No, you see, it, he could have just as much said, Michael liked peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Okay? The, the, what's being commuted, communicated here in the original language, and again, it's not in our English text, is Michael loved David. Do you see what's, what's actually being communicated there? Okay, so her love for David, we're going to see in this verse and in the future verses, her love for David wasn't really much of a love. It was probably more of uh, she was very infatuated with him. It was probably, um, I imagine, that she was um, very influenced by her culture. What's going on in the culture right now? People are singing David's name, right? And so she says, hey, he's popular. I want to be a part of that. Okay, so, so this is kind of where we're going to start. Do you see that? That Michael's love for David wasn't really a love at all. Everyone, everyone see that? Okay. And this makes me think, uh, at least it, makes, it reminds me of, remember I said we're going to start with talking about Michael's love for David, which we'll find isn't much, okay? And for me, what this story does is when we finish next week, it should bring great encouragement to you. 
okay? Because I always want to make sure that when, when we're in here as a church, what you will notice when we sing, what you will notice when we preach, what you will notice when we pray, is we do not talk about our love for God. We don't, okay? If, if I, because there are songs, there are Christian songs that literally sing about how much I love God. And, and I understand it, but we've, we've got to make sure that's not what we're building our foundation on, okay? If I were to sing a song that was about Russell's love for God, it would go like, my love is conditional upon my circumstances. Everybody, my love is conditional upon how I'm feeling that day. Dun, 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 right? It would do, I just made that up. I'm, I'm not even, I just made that up just now. That's pretty good, wasn't it? And, and the song, the lyrics would be about, God, my love, um, some days I'm in love with you, some, some days I don't feel it. God, some days um, my heart is excited to be about the Lord. And some days, God, the world looks pretty good. Lord, some days I see these sparkly trinkets that the world offers me, and some days my heart is drawn towards those things. And so that's why we always have to make sure, personally, corporately, when we sing, everything, make sure our focus is not on your love for God. Because if you're honest, and I know that's hard for some of us, this is church, if you're honest, our love for God usually is very fleeting and very conditional. And if you focus on your love for the Lord, you are going to be all over the map emotionally and spiritually. Why? Because my heart is all over the map emotionally and spiritually. Love is a decision. Love is an action. Okay? Can we, I want to do this real quick. Look at Psalm 51. I'm not going to teach through it. I just kind of want to read it, and it needs to be underlined in your Bible. Psalm 51. I'll read it, and then we're going straight back to 1 Samuel. Psalm 51 says, for the director of music, a psalm of David, uh, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Verse 1, listen to this, have mercy on me, O God, according to, what's that word right there? Your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. I hope that's underlined in your Bible. That's all we're going to read out of it. Notice his emphasis was not on his own heart. His emphasis was on the Lord's commitment to him. Okay? And so what I'm about to say, I'm hoping it encourages you rather than discourages you. I hope you recognize that God expects more failure out of you than you do out of yourself. I remember the day uh, someone told me that. God expects more failure out of you than you do out of yourself. And his commitment to his church is based on what? On his love for his son. Okay? That should be good news for you. Okay? If you find your identity in in yourself, if you find your identity in your commitment to God, that's going to be difficult. But if you find your identity in the Lord's commitment to his church, then that's great great news. Uh, Don't forget uh, our new life in Christ. It starts and ends and is sustained by the Lord's promise to himself. Okay, all three of those. Don't forget it starts, ends, and is sustained. 
Um, okay, you're still back at 1 Samuel. I told you we'd come back real quick. Uh, so verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 20. Now Saul, Michael's daughter, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that he may be a snare, so that she may be a snare to him, and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. That, that tells you a little bit about Michael's character that David says, I mean, that Saul says, yeah, you can marry my daughter, and she's going to be part of your destruction. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He says, so that she may be a snare. Uh, so Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Then Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately and say, look, the king is pleased with you, and his attendants all like you. Now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David, but David said, Do you think it's a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known, which isn't true, because people were just singing, thousands of people were singing about him, but you can see how humbly he walks. Uh, when Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, Say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine uh, foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. A very strange wedding gift, I'd, I'd say. Uh, Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time elapsed, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought their foreskins and presented the full number to the king so that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter in marriage to Michael. Okay? And so, uh, now notice what's happened here is David has officially married Michael now. Um, but don't forget, most likely the reason she's uh, married to David here is it's, it seems to be a cultural response rather than a personal decision. Um, it seems to be just something that was popular um, at the time. I know this is really difficult for us to grasp this concept, okay? Um, but she lived in a culture in which loyalty to the Lord's anointed was almost expected. She lived in a culture that, that, people, that, that people were excited about the, the Lord's anointed, but they didn't really know Him. Uh, she lived um, in a culture where uh, it was very, very common uh, to be very infatuated with the Lord's anointed. You understand I'm not talking about 5,000 years ago. You see that, right? Y'all make that connection? That, that don't forget, we live in a culture that it's, it's almost expected that you attend church. We live in a culture that it's almost expected that you get baptized, right? Uh, we live in a culture that it's almost expected um, that you, you have a like something on your wall or you have a coffee mug that says, I don't know, something stupid. Um, <laughs> or you wear a t-shirt. You know, it's almost expected in our culture, okay? But notice none of those which I said was actually having a true real-life relationship with the Lord. It's all these external things, okay? So be careful because you're constantly discipled by your culture. Every minute of every day, your culture is discipling you. Every minute of every day, okay? And part of our culture is that you just kind of, to be a part of a church means you just show up on Sundays, you just kind of show up and leave, and that's about it, never really engaging. Um, and so that's something that here will always push you into. We'll, we'll, we'll never guilt you into it, but we'll always encourage you 
really dig in deep into community with one another. Really do it. That's very countercultural. But to get past keeping people just at arm's length. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, look at verse 28. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. Okay, so the, the plot continues here. By this time, David is married to Michael. He's the son-in-law of Saul, but now there's a wedge between David and Saul, and it says that now when Saul looks at David, he says, that's my enemy. And so David has now become an enemy of the state. And he begins, we're going to see how he starts to go um, on the run here. Look in just the next chapter, chapter 19, start in verse 11. Um, <clears throat> verse 11, it kind of speaks for itself. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, hey, this is kind of redeeming quality. Okay, this is great. If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Then Michael took an idol and laid... She took what? Then Michael took an idol... That's weird. Then Michael took an idol, she just had it in her house, and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair at the head. This is your classic Ferris Bueller... Um, pretending someone's in bed when they're not, okay? Uh, it literally <laughs> says that she put something in bed and put hair on it. So, the, so when the people, when guys showed up to kill David, they said, she said, well, he's, well, you'll see right here. Uh, verse 14, when Saul sent the message uh, to capture David, Michael said, he is ill. Uh, then Saul sent the men back to see David and told them, bring him up to me in his bed so I may kill him. But when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed, and at the head was some goat's hair on it. Uh, Saul said to Michael, why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? Okay, so there's a, this is a, 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 a big moment for Michael. Don't miss this. Okay, here's a chance that she says, David, you need to flee for your life. First of all, I want you to point out she didn't go with him. Don't miss that. That she says, David, your your life is in danger. And she says, You need to get out of here. But she in so many words, communicated or not not verbally, she said, I'm not coming with you. Okay? Don't don't miss that. Secondly, we're at this big moment where Saul shows up and he says, Why did you let him escape? This, this is the moment. This is where if there's a love for David, if there's a commitment to David, this is her time. You see that? That, her, that Saul is listening, and he says, why did you let her go? He, she could have said, because he's my husband, and I'm devoted to him, and I've, I'm following after the Lord's anointed. She could have expressed her love for him. Right? This is her moment. And then look what she does. Michael told him, he said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? Okay, so she lies about what David said. Okay, and so... Uh, this is where Michael has the perfect chance to testify. And I want to say two things about this to the church, okay? Uh, number one, church, we are presented with these, with these moments right here. 
They, they're, they're here. They're among us. These moments where something happens and there's this split second where we have a chance to actually testify to the Lord's anointed. We do. And so this is the first thing I want to say is as a soldier in Christ, please, church, don't miss those moments. Okay? Don't, what the Bible says, um, what the prophets used to say to Israel and Judah is they would say, don't fall asleep. Okay? Don't just, don't just close your eyes off to what's going on around. Uh, don't get easily distracted. Okay? But as a soldier of Christ, make sure that we are looking for and we're aware of those moments. Are you following me on this? Right? And they happen, I, I would almost say, daily that we have a chance to really minister to people, that we have a chance to really speak to their soul, right? And, and so often, often we just miss it, right? Um, please don't really miss what's happening right in, in front of you. That um, I'm telling you, church, start looking for it. People are completely alone. The older I get, some of y'all are shaking your heads, I'm telling you, the older I get, this is affirmed over and over and over and over again, especially men, but it's, it's true of women and men. If you actually sat down and with, with most people and said, tell me, who do you have in your life? I mean, that really is in your life, that truly cares for you and prays for you. Most people, if they're honest, the answer is zero. Okay, this is what I'm finding over and over and over. Please don't fall asleep, church. Please don't assume, don't we all assume that our friends are always busy and that they're always hanging out with other people don't we assume that other men are really in fellowship with other men don't we assume that other that others wives really have deep purposeful relationships with other wives don't we assume that am i the only one right that we think oh when i think of so and so i think oh he's probably out being super busy uh super involved in others lives and i'm telling you oh my gosh i am telling you most people are completely alone, absolutely devastatingly um, alone. So please don't fall asleep. Don't assume. Like as a soldier, be on guard, right? And keep your eyes focused on the war in front of you, okay? As a soldier, don't, don't catch yourself just sitting here talking to other soldiers and turn your back to the battlefield, right? And then, you, and then you turn around maybe 5, 10, 15 years later and you've completely lost your family or you, you've completely lost your life. You know what I mean? Please keep your eyes focused on the battle in front of you. And the battle is not against people, but it's against spiritual principalities. Um, it's against things in the heavens. This is what the Bible teaches in the New Testament. Um, second thing I want to say is remember to stay on mission, church. As a soldier, remember to keep your eyes focused on what's happening in front of you. Don't um, please don't do what Michael did. She was more concerned with her comfort. She was more concerned with um, staying. Now, and, and don't miss this. She chose to stay in the castle. Like she chose to stay in uh, where Saul lived. She chose to stay in comfort. She chose to stay in her uh, surroundings that she knew rather than go with David and be with him. She chose comfort over David. Okay, And so church, please stay um, on mission. I always want to make sure that, that as a church, and I say this carefully, make sure we at least have a sense of urgency about us. Not panic, not frantic panic, 
but as a church, make sure we please have a sense of urgency, okay? And what I mean by this is, um, and if you know my heart, this makes sense. If you, don't, if you don't know my heart, you may think this guy's trying to manipulate us, okay? I can promise you I'm not a manipulator, um, but, but I hope you know my heart when I say this. Don't forget, church, um, and I don't even like saying this because it sounds like I'm trying to, it's a scare tactic, but it's not. Please don't forget, people are going to hell. Okay, people are going to hell. And, and please, church, don't forget, so many people, when they go home, when they drive up to their house, they are walking into a living hell. So many people are hurting and completely alone, and their home life is an absolute wreck. Please don't lose focus of that. Please don't fall asleep. And please have a sense of urgency. Again, not panic, not frantic, but don't lose sight of that. Of the, There are people in front of you that are hurting constantly and are completely alone, and they need the Lord in their life. Okay, uh, So that's the two things I wanted to say. Just be ready and stay on mission. Um, and then just make sure that, um, just be ready for pushback. When we're taking ground, there will always be pushback. Okay, so um, the story, let's flip forward a little bit. Uh, we're going to end up in 1 Samuel chapter 25, but as we do, I just kind of read what the title chapters are. Verse 20 says David and Jonathan. Uh, chapter 21 says David and Nob. Uh, chapter 22 says David at Adulam and Mizpah. Um, chapter 24 says, well, it says Saul pursues David, and then 24 says David spares Saul's life. Um, and then we get to chapter 25, and it says David, Nabal, and Abigail. We studied Abigail several weeks ago. Uh, so look at chapter 25, uh, verse 44. Chapter 25, verse 44. <clears throat> so this is a little while later. David has been on the run. Um, what do you, th now, and don't miss this, uh, David's been out running from Saul, what do you think Michael's been up to? And don't, don't forget, she's still married to David. She's, she's united with him, but she's not with him. She's not in fellowship with him. What do you think she's been up to? What do you think that gal's been up to, right? Uh, so look at verse 44, we're just going to read one verse, and this is where we'll end with Michael today, but Saul had given his daughter, Michael, and then look, it even says, what? David's wife to Paltiel, son of Laash, who was from Galim. Okay, so what has Michael been up to? Well, to put it bluntly, she's been sleeping around, <laughs> right? She's married to David, but she's living with this other dude, okay? So this is what I want to point out here, and we're not going to talk about uh, marriage or stuff like that. But what I want to point out is that while she is united with David in marriage, she's living a life distance from him. She's living a life completely pursuing her own comfort. Okay? Don't miss that. Okay? Um, she could have gone with him, but she chose to stay. I'm going to stay right here. David, you go off. I'm okay uh, by myself. Uh, instead of living with and for David during his years as a fugitive and Sharing in his loneliness and rejection, she chose to live at ease and comfort with somebody else. 
Um, this might get awkward here, but she wanted the benefits. She didn't want David himself. Okay, And so I, I want to talk about this because this is something that I think we encounter a lot is that, um, I'll say that again, she wanted the benefits of being united with David. She didn't want David um, himself. And so um, if you've got your Bible, switch, switch over to John chapter 6 and we'll close here real quick. Uh, what, what I'm about to talk about is something that's very common in our culture. And again, I'm not, it's not like a scare tactic, but I think we at least need to be aware of it. Is this idea of Michael wanting the benefits of the Lord's anointed, but not actually the Lord's anointed himself. I compare it to this, is that, please don't miss this, guys. There's, uh, there's no fellowship with the Lord apart from his church. Please don't miss that. And what I have found, and this is my opinion, so you can disagree with me on my opinion. What I have found in our culture, this may not be true of other places, is that we tend to choose one or the other. We tend, if we look at, hey, here's the church, here's the, here's the benefits of uh, having a relationship with the Lord, and over here is this actual living, breathing, personal relationship with the Lord. We tend to fall either one way or the other. The way this looks is that uh, some people love Jesus. They do. But when it comes to the church, they said, uh-uh, I don't want anything to do with it, right? Some people love a personal relationship with Jesus, but when it comes to actually being in fellowship with his people, they say, not going to have it. Is everyone at least familiar with this, right? That some people have been so hurt and so burned by the church that they said, I don't ever want anything to do with that again. And I guarantee you, if we put a microphone right here and said, hey, does anyone have any stories in here about how the church has burned them? I guarantee you we'd be here for a while, Okay. And so please don't give up on the church and, and just say, it, oh, this, this, I hope this is starting to stick out to you. Don't ever fall into, it's just me and Jesus. There's no such gospel as where it's just me and Jesus. It's my own personal Jesus. Me and him, he's, he looks a lot like me. He acts exactly like I do, right? And it's just me and Jesus. I don't want anything to do with the church um, over here. That's, that is a gospel of isolation, um, and it's a gospel of loneliness, and it's not the gospel at all. And so you, some people will tend to do that. They say, it's just going to be me and Jesus. I want to go live on a mountaintop by myself. I don't ever want to get close to other people. I don't ever want to carry one another's burdens. I don't ever want to be humble enough to ask others to carry my burdens. It's just me and Jesus. The other side of that coin is some people say, I just want the church. I just want the benefits of being a Christian, I don't want anything to do with, with the Lord in my life personally, right? And, and what it looks like, and to be honest, the church is kind of cool. Some people just want to come, they want to have friends, and there's nothing wrong with that. And they want to come, and they want to have, man, isn't it good to know that people are praying for you, right? And, and then when, the, when this church has, um, when they have parties or get-togethers, I called it a party, I didn't call it a fellowship, it's okay. When this church has parties, don't you want to go to the party? Right? Don't you want to be a part of this church? Don't you want to get the benefits of saying, oh yeah, I go to this church, and then everybody goes, hmm, that's a good church. Don't you want, don't, in our culture, don't you enjoy the benefits of being able to say, well, of course I go to this church, blah, blah, blah. Do you, do you, see, what I'm, do you see what I'm saying here, right? And at the same time, can, it can have absolutely zero personal relationship with the Lord. Do you see that? And I've found that people, we tend to be one or the other, but the New Testament gospel, it really says those things should be one and the same. 
right? That our relationship with the Lord is extremely, extremely personal, but was never intended to be private. It's meant to be shared with others, right? And please don't fall into that trap. This is what Michael did when she looked at actually being in fellowship with David versus just just living with the benefits of being with David, what did she choose? She said, I, I just want the benefits. She didn't actually want David himself. And so for the New Testament church, this hopefully this can be a warning for us. Again, don't, don't get scared. This isn't supposed to scare anyone. But make sure that we're uh, in fellowship with both of those things, that we have this vertical relationship with the Lord, but we also have this horizontal relationship that we're growing in community with others because what you'll find is that's actually the same thing because we tend our heart usually tends to grasp one or the other and 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 ignore the other one right um and so look at john chapter six jesus had something to say about this he's a pretty smart guy Uh, john chapter six verse 25 when they found him who's him jesus okay good job guys okay some of y'all not sure, that's okay. That's, you'll get it next time, don't worry. When they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the lake, that's the, uh, the Galilee, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Uh, Jesus answered, and he had just walked on the water. That's how he got there. But he answered, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me. Now, now listen to the words of Jesus. I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves, and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, it's one of his favorite references to himself, will give you on him. God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So remember what Jesus said is they said, hey, when did you get here? And he said, hey, you're not, you're not really looking for me. What did he say? He says you're looking for what? You ate the loaves and you had your fill, Right? The beginning of this chapter, what's your chapter title say? Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus was extremely popular. One of the reasons was why? Because he did miracles and he fed people. Like he would do these things and they were these, there were these great benefits to following Jesus. And Jesus looks at these people in the eye. He loved them enough. Don't miss that. He loved them enough to say, you're not really looking for me. He says, the reason you're here is because you're, you're looking for what I can do for you. Okay, uh, Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? Why is that interesting? Because he just fed five thousand men probably close to 15 to 20,000 people with with a boy's lunch and then they leave on a boat he walks on water and meets him over there and they say oh give us a sign (laughs) what a what a trap we fall into by the way be careful be careful Christian don't be careful with that Lord give me a sign they're all around us and I'll say it again don't fall asleep if you fall asleep you're going to be asking God, give me a sign. Or if you're on guard, you're going to see they are everywhere. Um, verse 31, our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who's given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 34, Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. They still don't get it. They're thinking give us some physical food. Jesus says, verse 35, this should probably be underlined in your Bible. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Right? And he says, you, you've come here looking for things. You've come here looking for satisfaction in food and in miracles. And Jesus says, I am that satisfaction. I am that thing. I am what you need more than anything else. Uh, skip forward. The story gets sad. Look at verse 60. So Jesus dropped some very difficult theology on them. Verse 60 says, On hearing it, many of His disciples said, Look at this. And this is really fair, by the way. His disciples says, This is a hard teaching. Can anyone amen that, by the way? This is a hard teaching. That Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to Me will never hunger. Really? Please, church, look at me here. Really? We said this a couple weeks ago. Jesus says, I'm enough for you. Let's get real for a second, church. That's, that's tough. Are you all with me? When I think of bank account, when I think of health insurance, when I keep, think of the health of my children, let's get real for a second, right? When I think of the, the depression, when I think of loneliness, and Jesus says, everything you'll ever need is found in what? In me and in my church. Let's get real for a second. That's a hard teaching. Can we say that? Okay, in case you didn't see, everybody in here is shaking their head yes. So don't think that you're the only one that says yes, okay? They said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. These words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and he would and would betray him he went on to say this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled him verse 66 very interesting from this time many of his disciples what turned back and no longer followed him verse 67 you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus said to the twelve. I like that that's just the name for him, the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is a powerful, powerful part in Scripture that Jesus gives them difficult theology and it says that many of these disciples, they said, I don't think you're enough. And they turned and walked away. And, then, and this is my favorite part. He turns and looks and he says, are, are you guys going to leave too? And Simon Peter, God bless him, he says, where else would we go? He says, who else has the words of life? Amen, man. Amen, right? He says, where else am I going to place my hope? Who else am I going to put my hope in? Right? Good grief, Simon. Thank you for that. And so I want to make sure, um, church, this, this is the last thing I'll say, make sure 
that for the church that we are embracing not just our personal relationship with Jesus, but that we are also embracing our relationship with His church and with people. And please don't fall asleep. Please don't, don't just look at the bread. Don't just look at the miracles. But look at what's happening under the surface and recognize. I'm telling you, if you start asking people, if you start chipping away at the surface, people are hurting and they're lonely and they are starving. They are starving. And they're eating and consuming and consuming, but they're never satisfied. I promise you this is the case. And so this is why you will always be pushed into fellowship with other believers. Always. Always, always. Um, and so um, I'll just close with this. I'll wrap it up with Michael. Uh, remember, where we're leaving this story, David's on the run. Michael says, I don't want to be with, with you. I'll be married to you, but I'm going to keep the benefits. I don't actually want you. And then I just want to leave with this question. What do you think happened all those years? And this isn't rhetorical. Those year, we, We're not sure. We think it's around seven years. Some, some people say it's maybe four years, f- f- 10, 12, something. Those years that David was running from Saul and Michael was over here living in a false marriage. What do you think happened all those years? What did she do? Like, what a waste. That, what a waste that she could have been in fellowship with the Lord's anointed. She could have been in deep communion with Him, but she chose, I'm going to live over here. What a waste. What a waste. Um, I'll, I'll leave it um, at that. Let me pray for us. God, thank You for Your church. God, thank You that we're not perfect and that, um, that there's freedom in that. God, I pray for the people in this room. Lord, help us to, to never forget both that vertical relationship with You and that horizontal uh, with others around us. Lord, help us God, give us the courage to just, some of us need to just drop the act and we can just get real with one another. Um, and that, that we will find, gosh, we will find over and over and over, people are completely alone, people are hurting, and, and people are starving. People are starving for something of substance. And you have given the church the, the ministry of reconciliation. You've given your church what will always satisfy and help us to share that uh, message with others. Um, And help us just to rely on you one day at a time, like manna in the desert, just enough for today. Just enough for today, Lord. So this is our prayer. Amen.